Hey everyone, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress podcast. We're so glad to have you here. This is Allison. And this is Liv. And we are back with another one. We are super excited about this episode. We've been really pumped for it in the last couple of days. Uh, we just, we appreciate your guys' patience because we know we did miss a week. Things have been super busy, um, but yeah, we're super excited. Anytime we get to sit down and record this podcast, we always get really excited about it. So before we jump into all the cool stuff we have planned for today, Liv, what was the best part of your week? Okay, well, I have two things, so I'll just say both of them <laughs> because I can't really pick one. They were both pretty awesome, and they were awesome for different reasons. So um, the first thing was I went on a camping trip with some people from my church, um, and that was super, super fun. So we went camping in the Outer Banks, like if you've ever seen the Shell Outer Banks which is not actually filmed in Outer Banks, by the way. Um, But we went to the real one (laughs) in North Carolina. Um, And yeah, it was really fun. Uh, We just kind of hung out, you know, like it was right on the beach because it's more like beach camping there. So you literally walked over like a hill of sand dune and you were on the beach. So that was Mm -hmm. pretty cool. Um, So it was really fun. We just kind of got to hang out there. We got to go to the beach during the day. We got to get like acai bowls and some coffee and we went out to eat one night and just like hung out and talked at the campsite. And um, it was a good time. I will say like the days were weirdly like contrasted to the nights because the days Mm. were like so awesome and great and fun. And then nighttime was just like utterly terrible because obviously like you're sleeping outside and it's like 85 degrees and there's bugs and like, (laughs) so it was like the days were really fun. The nights weren't so fun, but overall it was really good trip and it was really fun. Just be with friends and like hang out and stuff. Um, and then the other thing was, uh, my husband and I kind of went on like a little impromptu date night. Um, and you know, when you're just kind of like in a weird, like funk And you just can't seem to get out of it. Like you just kind of feel like caught in your head and stuff. That's kind of the mood I was in that day. And um, so we just decided we were just going to go like have fun. We're just going to go do something um, at night and just kind of get our mind off of all the adult things. Um, So we ended up going to the beach again. Um, Apparently I live at the beach this summer. Um, So we went there again and just kind of hung out. We like ran into the water, even though it was getting kind of cold and stuff. And we like got tacos and like, um, it was just good. It was like just exactly what I needed that day. And I think what he needed too. And so it was just like fun. Like we just kind of went and like, we're silly for a night, you know, it just like felt like we were, you know, 21 in college again. And it was just like a fun night. So both of those things were really awesome parts of my last like week and a half. So, yeah. Yeah. Just got to disconnect sometimes. I feel like that's the best thing. Getting kind of yeah. getting out of your head, going outside, enjoying something different, taking your mind yes. off stuff. Just yeah. Exactly. Well, this is going to sound like the most white girl thing I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life, but I was like the other night um I was watching like a movie and it was definitely like a rom-com kind of like teen drama type of movie but I was just I was very into it um I haven't watched something like that in a very long time (laughs) and I was just like yes I'm invested I'm invested in these characters lives and their relationships and you know like when you just watch these movies where like they just have this like super carefree summer and they're just like doing all these like amazing things and they're just like being silly all the time and of course they're like 16 and I'm like 24 but um 
I don't know why after I watched that, I was just like, I just feel like sometimes I like forget that life is like, can just like be fun and like stupid sometimes. Like, you know, like, it's just like, like stupid fun, like where you just kind of go and you just be silly and you just don't care about anything. Like you don't care about the adult things for one day. And like, so that's kind of what that night was. And it was actually just really fun to just kind of be silly, just like forget about responsibilities for once. Yeah. Totally get that. Yes. What was the best part of your week? Um, yeah. So this is one of those weeks where I just don't remember where I was, what I was doing. Like it just went by (laughs) so fast. What even happened? But I do remember distinctly this past week, I finished one of my classes for my final semester. I submitted the final assignment. Such a satisfying feeling, just hitting post. I'm done. Got that final dialogue reply up. Uh, So that was super rewarding. Um, and I also got to have, go out to coffee with my sister-in-law. That's always just fun because I kid you not is the best, the best coffee that exists out there. We were kind of crazy. We got two coffees because we just drank through the first ice, like iced coffee super quickly. And we both looked at each other. We're just like, I think we need another one. I think we need to get another one before we leave. So yes, that was just fun. Uh, getting super close to being done with my MBA and that'll, that will be awesome. Yay. Woo-hoo. Almost there. If you're listening, applaud for Allison. <laughs> Clap wherever you are. Trust getting me, there. she deserves it. We're getting there. Yes, getting there. But anyways, we are going to jump straight into our topic today. We're very excited for this one. We're doing a study on Haggai, which is one of the minor prophets, the I think third to last book in the Old Testament. And not to say minor prophets like they're any less important or valuable than the major prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah, but just that their books are much shorter. So it was something I think that we both really wanted to do. I was familiar with this book before because I had studied it once before. So I knew it was short, so it worked really well with our schedule, but it also was just packed, packed with information, with wisdom. And we're super excited to kind of unpack that and go through that with you. So essentially how our episode is is going to go is we're going to read through parts of the book. Um, It's a pretty short book. So we'll read through some verses and we'll commentate on them. We'll give some analysis. We'll provide context and just take out all the awesome nuggets of wisdom that are in there. And we're going to just kind of trade off doing that through the two chapters of Haggai. So I'm going to start with the first six verses of the first chapter. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel. Hopefully I'm saying that right. Yeah, there's a lot of names in this. There are. We're just going to power through. We are. (laughs) The governor of Judah and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Starting off with some with some strong stuff. Do you want to kind of help us understand where we are, Liv? Yes. Yeah. He's calling them out here for sure. Um, 
Yeah, I kind of wanted to just like dive into a little bit of the background of this book specifically. I'm just talking about kind of like who was Haggai? When did he live? Where does his timeline fit, um, you know, in Israel's history, just in the history of scripture? Um, Like what's the main message? What's his like purpose in this book specifically too? Um, So I was reading different commentaries on this because I feel like when it comes to studying the background and the context of books in the Bible, it's very, very helpful to have a commentary. Um, It kind of makes it so you don't have to make your own by finding little bits of information and piecing them together because someone else has probably already done that. So um, I found just like a, a passage in the Oxford Bible commentary that talks about um, just the background of the book of Haggai. So um, I just wanted to read a little excerpt from it. Um, so on the historical background, um, the Oxford commentary says that um, Haggai is one of the shortest of the prophetic books. Still, these 37 verses offer a significant vantage point from which to observe a nodal moment in history, uh, in Israelite history, the creation of the second temple community out of which Judaism emerged. The book's chronological markers fix the literature to one year, 520 BC, and to the issues of restoration for those in Persian period Judah. So basically, this takes place in 520 BC, so before Christ. So that's kind of the setting of it in general, as far as the year is considered. And then date and the place of the composition. I'm going to read a little passage on that as well. So it says, although the book of Haggai refers explicitly to Persian uh, chronology, it was almost certainly written in Judah. Haggai himself may well have been among those Yahwists who remained in the land during the Babylonian exile. Since the book includes chronological formula, all of which refer to the year 520 BC, it is difficult to imagine that the book was written much later than this pivotal moment. Given the special uh, prominence of the temple for Haggai, one would have expected him to refer to its completion, which took place in 515 BC. Since the book does not refer to this event, it was probably written between 520 and 515 BC. So basically just kind of explains the year and why we can possibly know that it was written there. It kind of goes on to explain um, like the religious and theological issues that um, are talked about in the book, which um, just to kind of put it in short, basically there's kind of two main themes within the book of Haggai. Um, The first theme is rebuilding the temple. There's this call that God has for his people to rebuild his temple at this time. This is after they have uh, finally returned from exile and the temple is still in ruins. And so that's kind of the call that he's putting on them at that time. And then the other one is realigning their spiritual priorities. Um, So that's also a major theme in this Um, just kind of calling them out a little bit, (laughs) calling them to holiness and to realign their priorities um, because they're not really putting God first at that time. So did you have any thoughts on that, Allison, on the first few verses? I think that was great. Really helped us kind of understand where we are right now in the Israelite story. So I believe it's just about 70 years after the temple had been destroyed and their exile began. And the ESV study Bible that I'm using right now actually says that um, this, the second year and the sixth month and the first day being August 29, 520 BC was three weeks after the anniversary of the destruction of that first temple. So it was like, the timing is just impeccable when you really think about it. That's really all I had to add. I did want to actually add one last thing too, is that 
those verses where it talks about uh, you have sown so much and harvested little, you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you have never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to, to put them into a bag of holes. It's just super, it's just really easy to visualize. Just the idea of a super fruitless pursuit when you're just toiling for nothing. You're working towards what exactly? Because I think that's super relatable for us sometimes. I mean, we even talked about it in our last episode. So essentially God is like, isn't this kind of tiring? Like, why don't we try something else? That's essentially what God is saying through Haggai here. So (laughs) it kind of makes me think too of like um, Ecclesiastes, like a kind of the language kind of mirrors that a little bit of just like, you're doing these things but you never have enough. Like you drink, but you never have your fill. Like you're just kind of like, which I think honestly points to their priorities as much as it points to what they're supposed to do next about them, which is rebuilding the temple at this time. But um, I think it kind of also points to like, where are your priorities? Cause you're just kind of like living in this cyclical um, pointlessness right. of like never having enough, never being satisfied. Um, yeah. And I think that does point to like where their priorities lied at that time spiritually. Very true. So moving on to the next section, we kind of see the reasons that the people had given, the excuses really, that they had been giving for not rebuilding the house of the Lord. So this is um, moving through verses 7 through 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I've called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, and new wine, the oil on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it is the power of God. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And I think it kind of reminds me, too, just of like God definitely showing us what our lives are supposed to be about. Like, even if that means in such a way that like we might see as unfair or like, you know, we might feel kind of, you know, uncared for or abandoned or like what have you. Cause that's kind of what he's talking about is like putting forth this work into the earth um, in order to like produce fruit and things like that. And it's just not coming. Like it's not growing. And honestly, he's like trying to, move their priorities back to him, move his, their attention back to him. Cause they're just, again, like in this endless cycle of like focusing on the wrong things when they should be focusing on God himself. And we do want to point out like um, just throughout the book, God never, you know, necessarily trivializes what the Israelites went through during their Babylonian exile. Um, even though honestly their disobedience to him is what caused them <laughs> to get there in the first place. So it right. technically is their fault. Um, but he never says that, uh, the things they were concerned with were unimportant. You know, that's important to know. Like he doesn't say that they're not um, things that should have their attention at all. It's just a matter of like the order of priorities that they have. Cause of course it's still important to like have a home. It's still important to prioritize that and to put effort into things like that. Um, the problem arises when it's 
becomes more important than your relationship with God or more important than glorifying him and focusing on him in your life. Um, You know, it's perfectly human to work on and be concerned for your job, your education, finances, family, um, lots of things, but you're missing the mark if you're not prioritizing God's presence first. Um, So in a way, you know, this was the rebuilding of the temple was a calling from God to glorify him, to turn their attention back to him and prioritize him first. Um, and also to just kind of bring his people back into his presence. Um, Cause at the time, you know, this is still in the old Testament. So they didn't have the presence of the Holy spirit within them. You know, we see in the new Testament that our bodies are a temple of the Holy spirit at this time, the temple was literally a building, you know, that they had to build up that held God's presence within. That's where, you know, the Holy of Holies was where only the high priest could go and be in the presence of God. So, um, you know, we definitely see that here. Yeah. It really speaks to them just rebuilding their lives in the absence of God and just kind of how fruitless it was and how pointless it really was because they're God's Mm -hmm. chosen people. And it's interesting because they feel like this this particular passage could also be misinterpreted to say, okay, they weren't prioritizing God, so he just like punishes them out of mm-hmm. out of what? You know, it makes if you were to read this passage with the wrong mindset, you could walk away thinking that God's just vengeful, and he definitely is vengeful against sin, but you could walk away thinking that's all he is. But when you really think about it too, he's doing it for their own good. He's reminding them Mm -hmm. for their own good because it brings them back to their purpose. It gives them a purpose in life. It ultimately returns them to who they are as God's people. And these people have been away for a long time, generations, you know, and they need to reconnect to their purpose. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of what happens to us too. Like when we stray away from God or we other things kind of fill up our schedule and we neglect him it is really hard to feel connected to your purpose and and to God. And so you're building all these things around you, whether it's your home or your finances, you know, what have you could be anything really, but Mm -hmm. he's really doing it for your good. He's not saying it to be spiteful, but he's intervening on your behalf to make your life better, but also more importantly to glorify himself. Yeah. I think like understanding it in the way that you mentioned first, like, oh, well, they weren't following him, so he's punishing them for that kind of thing. It's just a misunderstanding of what people were created for. Because ultimately, people were created for God. You know, they were created to glorify him, to image him as his image bearers. Um, And so, you know, when you're not doing that, when you're not fulfilling your purpose to glorify him, to image him um, as your God, as your heavenly father, um, you are like missing the point. You know, you're missing your purpose. You're missing the reason that you were created, which is ultimately for our good. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, God using whatever means he needs to in order to bring you back to him is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's actually a very loving thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also I just wanted to mention too, like, I think it, it can be easy to see this passage and think that as well when you forget that the old Testament shows us a need for a mediator between God and his people. Um, because in the new Testament, obviously we have the sacrifice of Jesus. We have the Holy spirit, which is, um, you know, Jesus is that mediator between God, the father and his people. And so in that, um, you know, there is already a sacrifice that atones for sin. Um, and of course Jesus died for all people, you know, in the past in the present and in the future, but, you know, at that time in the old Testament, there was 
still that need for a mediator between God and his people. So it's like the people of Israel were consistently disobeying God and were disobedient towards him. And so, yes, God loved them, but he also needed to punish sin, which they were consistently like sinning, you know? Yeah. So it's like, cause they're sinful people. Cause again, there's a need for a mediator there. So if anything, that really just shows us like that need here um, in order to like join God, the father with his people in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. so that we could truly experience his love in a, in a deeper way too. So um, there's definitely that as well. I also wanted to add one last thing about this passage. Just a thought that popped in my head when you were talking is that I also think this passage passage could be weaponized against people to say, if you're struggling in something, if you're working on something and you're not seeing fruit, then that means every single time that God is punishing you or God is exacting intervention in that situation. Because in this situation, clearly he was, because he says it, he says, therefore, because my house is in ruins, Mm -hmm. therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew. And he goes on to explain what, you know, what is going wrong. But I think it could also be used sometimes in the wrong context, just because God was doing it in this situation doesn't mean every time that if you're going through something that's challenging, that it means God is punishing you because that's a really it's a really one dimensional way to look at it, at things. So, mm-hmm. to, you know, it's just important to remember that he can use these things. He can let you experience the natural outpouring of your pursuits, which is nothing, nothing growing, nothing happening the way you mm-hmm. want it to. He may use that to bring it, your, to get your attention and have you turn back to him, but just to be careful that we're not using this as a way to, I don't know, hurt people with this type of passage. Cause I have seen that happen in the past. So moving on to these last parts of the first chapter, this is verses 12 through 15. This is where we see the people decide to obey the Lord. They are convicted and they start to rebuild. So it says, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Is that like the same date that you were talking about before? Like it literally mentions it? So I was actually just looking at as I was finishing reading that passage, it looks like, so it opens, the chapter opens saying in the second year of Darius the king, and we're still in the second year by the end of the first chapter. However, the first verse of the chapter says in the sixth month on the first day of the month. And then at the end of this chapter, we're on the 24th day of that same month. So it looks like about 23 days have passed. Uh, So I have no idea exactly what all was happening in those 23 days. I I would imagine that Haggai was trying to get people to listen, Mm -hmm. but I think it also, it's kind of indicative of sometimes how long it can take us. I know 23 days may not sound like a lot, but if you have a prophet right there in front of you speaking on behalf of the Lord, I don't know, maybe sometimes it can just take time to, to really realize, oh, I do have to reorient my priorities and kind of change some things. Right. Well, I think like the main point that we wanted to emphasize with this specific passage 
um, that we just read is just that God can stir our hearts towards him. Um, and we really do see that a couple of different times in this passage, um, the word stirred up is used uh, or the phrase stirred up. Um, so I actually kind of wanted to look up like what that verb is um, in the Hebrew. So basically the Hebrew spelling of the word is pronounced as or. So it's like, apparently the translation of it is to rouse oneself or to awake. So it like being stirred up is also used in different passages of scripture. That same word um, is used to describe being woken up, like awake. It's also used as like lifted up um, as well. So it's kind of like basically saying that he awoke them. Like he woke them up, if that makes sense. Um, you know, he stirred up their hearts towards him. He woke up their hearts to know him and to turn back to him. Um, which honestly, I think we see God do. Well, not, I think, I know we see God do, um, just in the lives of every believer, you know, we see him awaken hearts to know him and to truly see him and to truly comprehend him and to be regenerated in the Holy spirit towards him. So I just said that was kind of cool just to see like how that word is used in different contexts. I think that I I know that that passage or that kind of idea of being woken up or waking up to something is used pretty frequently throughout the Bible. I mean, you you will find mm-hmm. it like everywhere. I'm not I'm not 100% sure all the passages right now, but I will find them and make sure to link them in in our show notes. But I think that's just used really frequently and I love that idea that you were sleeping before, because I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but if you ever had kind of a spiritual drought and time when you've been kind of away from the Lord and you come back, I, I do feel like I've kind of been in a trance. I do feel like I've kind of been asleep. I just mm-hmm. kind of been walking around, meandering around, not really having a purpose for what I'm doing. And also to go even further into that metaphor, just the idea that when you're dreaming, when you wake up, none of it mattered. Nothing that really happened during your dreams or has no finding in reality, really. So everything mm-hmm. you're doing apart from God is just kind of meaningless. I really think that metaphor, it's really a beautiful way to think about that. And then especially what the Israelites were going through with their their spiritual drought as well. Yeah. It makes me think too of like those who are dead in sin are woken, like you know, woken up to come alive, um, to know Christ. Like it's, it's kind of a, both of those things, I guess, could apply for like the non-believer becoming a believer and for the believer, it's just kind of been in trance or in a funk or just kind of sleepy, if you will, lukewarm, um, what have you. So definitely very interesting. Did you have any other thoughts on that or shall we move to chapter two? Oh, no, just like kind of a quick summary. So essentially we find Israelites returning from their exile. They're starting to rebuild their lives. They're starting to try to find themselves with their purpose again, trying to rebuild their homes. And God is like, hey, guys, my temple's still in ruins from when it was destroyed. What are you guys doing? Like, you guys, there's no meaning to anything you're doing. Let's start rebuilding. He uses Haggai, the prophet. To, to communicate that to the people and thank God that they listen because by the end of the chapter, we find, okay, they're convicted. They've been woken up from their trance. They're going to start rebuilding and you kind of mm-hmm. just want to see, you know, what happens next. So that's kind of where we yes. are. Well, chapter two starts out with something that I think is just so surprising 
when it comes to the Israelite people <laughs> because they're just so, you know, consistent <laughs> and strong and they just totally stay on track. Not really. That was sarcasm, guys, because <laughs> chapter two starts with the people getting discouraged <laughs> about the temple. They're already discouraged. I don't, I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure exactly how much time has passed, but you know, Israelites in this, uh, in the old Testament, we see them go up and down quite, quite often throughout the entirety of the old Testament. So oh, yeah. um, it's just kind of another example. Um, so we're going to read Haggai two, one through nine, just to start out. So it says in the seventh month on the 21st day of the month. Okay. So it tells us how much time has passed. It's only been a month. Yeah, it's, it's been, only like been less than a month. <laughs> See, I would like be like, oh my gosh, like y'all get it together. But also like, I'm someone who like, for instance, if I'm trying to like eat more fruits and vegetables or like cut sugar out or something, it's like two days in. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's been so long. <laughs> it's human so nature. So I get that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, okay. Um, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people and say, who is left among you? Who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? It is not as nothing in your eyes, or is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, all these names, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Ooh, that's a great passage. I just I just love how quickly how quickly things devolve. Yes. I mean it also shows God's love just that Yeah, I was he was to there to that. encourage them. I mean, he genuinely mm-hmm. through Haggai right there he encourages them. Fear not, like keep working mm-hmm. in due time. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just so loving of him, honestly. Yes. And I mean, there's just the story of the Israelites is like a roller coaster. But this is definitely oh, yes. one of them. Like I am here for I'm in I'm on the roller coaster with them right now. Um, but I think this just really speaks to the fact that <clears throat> what you're seeking and and sometimes when you turn back to the Lord and you're trying to reorient your life a little bit, it's not always going to necessarily look the way you want. Uh, and that's okay. In the second chapter, we see God's people are kind of discouraged that the temple they're building doesn't compare to the one that Solomon built. And if you're interested in learning a little bit more, I mean, a lot, there's a lot of details about how I was like, a Solomon's little bit more. <laughs> like, I mean, four cubits of wood was used. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if you want to play by play of the materials of the weight of the materials, they will, yes. it first Kings will give it to you. So that's it. I was about to say, if you want to build the temple, just like, <laughs> yeah, you need some ideas, build, build your own. Maybe don't. I mean, that's kind you of need a- some uh, palace decor ideas. Yes, They're in the Bible. 
Um, but yeah, that's chapter six and seven. Also the surrounding chapters that kind of set that up for you if you're interested in finding that. Um, but yeah, they, they got discouraged because it didn't look like the house in its former glory. It was, I mean, a beautiful, beautiful temple. And I mean, Solomon was an extremely wealthy man and used, it's actually super interesting because in those chapters it actually talks about the effort that Solomon put into an, his own house as compared to the temple, because it just shows human nature every time. Like we're always going to prioritize ourselves first and just how gracious God is that even among that, when he knows your heart is more set on your own house than building his presence in your life, that he mm-hmm. will still pursue you and say, I'm with you. I get that you're discouraged. I keep working through it because prioritizing God isn't pretty or easy. A lot of the times, I mean, honestly, normally it's the opposite. It looks pretty complex. Things get messy and painful, but kind of, kind of in the best way, because he strips away those things that you've been working on. That can be so hard to see things pulled away from you that you thought was everything, Uh, but he'll prune those parts of your life to make way for growth, to create space for, for you to grow and to reconnect with him. And I know this is a super cheesy metaphor, but Liv and I really love taking care of the house plant. So I'm still going to use this metaphor. But um, when you take cuttings off your plant, it actually really helps the plant push growth into other parts of the plant because um, the nutrition and the water is not going to foliage that isn't going to produce more growth or potentially is harmful to the rest of the plant. And that's really the same way it is in our lives, because when we're investing time and energy, like the water nutrients into foliage, that's not going to produce fruit that is not going to grow. And is kind of a waste of our time. God, as, as the gardener, he cuts those parts out and it can be painful. It can be kind of hard to adjust. It can put stress on us, but ultimately is for our good because without those things, we can't bear fruit or foliage that is pleasing um, and beautiful to God. So mm-hmm. cheesy metaphor, but it really works and it helps, it helps me because I'm a very visual learner type person, just kind of put those concepts into something practical. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting because I actually have like a reminder that I put on my phone back in February of 2021. Wow. So a long wow. time ago. I remember this day, weirdly enough, I was on my way to work and I was listening to the Daily Grace podcast, um, which if you haven't heard that, I'm sure you have if you're listening to this one, because it's like kind of a similar dynamic, but um, super great podcast. But they were just talking about um, like abiding in the Lord and resting in him. And I feel like that's a very overused word (laughs) in the church today, like just trying to abide. Like we were even joking at church yesterday, just about like how people will be like, my word for the year is just to abide. And it's just like kind of part of Christian culture now, but true, truly, um, <laughs> they were talking about the fact that pruning is a huge part of abiding. Um, and that just kind of hit me. I remember because it just kind of was a good reminder that there will be areas in your life that God either, you know, takes away in areas of your life that are lost and that will be painful to lose. Um, but ultimately as he takes away those things, it really causes you to rely on him, to rest in him and to turn to him, um, you know, in more and better and deeper ways. Um, just because those things are being pruned out of your life. So it really does help you to truly like rest in him um, and just abide in him. So I thought that that was kind of a cool connection. It really is. I think it's also cool that 
I mean, this is a tiny bit of a tangent, but I still want to add this. Just that he allows nature to reveal those spiritual truths about him and his nature. Like you can literally oh, yeah. look at your house plants and it can be a metaphor for your relationship with him because he's just that creative. He's just that intricate that you can find mm-hmm. him in all those little things. And it's interesting too, because in this passage, I'm looking at my study Bible here. It says that the the phrase, the Lord of hosts occurs five times throughout mm-hmm. verse six through nine. So it emphasizes his sovereign authority. Yeah. So how easy would it be for him to wipe them out or just completely disregard them if he really wanted to, but that's not what he chose to do. He chose to pursue them in a moment where they were not concerned with him. And he does the same for us today. He's still reaching us and pursuing us when we're not concerned or like we're not prioritizing him at all. So mm-hmm. the Lord of hosts, the one who can shake the world is pursuing you as an individual. And he did that for the same thing for the Israelites. So it's just a really, it's kind of hard sometimes to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Um, well, moving on to the next couple of verses, we're just going to read verses 10 through 19. So verse 10 starts on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer, there is unclean. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you in all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Interesting stuff. This is an interesting passage. The first time I read it, I didn't glean anything because I was confused. I don't know if that was the same for you, but I think it's okay to admit that. Uh, But we kind of just wanted to break that down and walk through that with you. So essentially what God is saying here through Haggai to the priests, um, and remember again, that the priests were the, um, the set apart group of people to take care of the temple, to do the sacrifices that they were called to be holy. And they were held to a really strict, really high standard of holiness and moral character in the Israelite community. So remembering who we're talking to here. So Haggai is approaching them and asking these questions. And what God is saying through Haggai is that the people couldn't really obey God and be in tune with him if God didn't have a dwelling place among them. Um, so when he's talking about the uncleanness and the cleanness, uh, I looked at David Busick's commentary uh, enduring word. I'll make sure to link that. But what he says is a sick child cannot catch health from contacting a healthy child, but the healthy child can become sick. Um, so the health is not what's contagious. It's the sickness. And that's really the metaphor that Haggai is kind of using here, that the Lord is really using through Haggai here to explain, like, you can't create holiness where there isn't any. 
you can't derive holiness when God's presence isn't there at all because he is holiness. He's the only thing about the Israelites that was ever holy because he chose them. So it was completely fruitless for them to try to obey God if they weren't prioritizing him. You couldn't say, I, I care about God, my relationship with him, and I'm honoring him in the sa- at the same time that you were saying, I'm going to rebuild my house and not his. So mm-hmm. that's really what God is saying here. And he's asking this of the priests because they're the ones that are supposed to be leading the people in this era and this practice and the spiritual part of their lives, really. Um, so it's just really, really interesting here that it what God is saying essentially is your works can't save you. Like you could do all the right things, but if your heart's not in the right place, if you don't have my holiness imparted within you and my presence among you, then there's essentially no point. It's just all a waste. Yeah. I think it's important to point out like this chapter, because I think it'd be easy to look at it and say like, wait, so God is telling them to like do better, Um, (laughs) but that's not what he's saying. Like, this is not a, like, you're not doing good enough, do better. This is basically God telling them that they can't save themselves. Like they can't save themselves through works. Um, They can work all that they want, but it's not going to save them Um, because ultimately his presence is needed for their salvation, for them to be saved. You know, and so in in this time in the Old Testament, in order for his presence to be among them, they needed the temple. So, you know, that's kind of important to point out here, too. Right. Right. And the uh, the study notes I'm looking at here, too, in my study Bible also kind of talk about the temple being almost like a ruined corpse among their midst Mm -hmm. because it's that's what was the defiling piece of it is the fact that they weren't even rebuilding it. It was just laying there in ruins, like completely destroyed. And so it was defiling everything else they did, like the sacrifices they were offering, any, anything they were offering up to God in their lives. It was just defiled by that. And that's really important for us to remember today because I mean, I think some of us really, really do genuinely want to please God. I think all of us would want to please God, but a lot of times we can kind of pursue the acts and the good things and our actions to try to make up for the fact that we feel disconnected or disassociated from who we are in our spiritual lives. And it's just kind of pointless. I mean, I've gone through that cycle before too. I mean, doing all these things that I think are for God, but if you're not really connecting with him, if you're not in the word of God and in prayer and cultivating that presence it's gonna that presence in your life and his dwelling and his presence in your heart then it's all those great things you're doing are kind of defiled and tainted by by not having him truly in your life yeah well i mean as fallen sinful human beings i mean to in all honesty are but dust it's like (laughs) we can't glorify god without god if that makes sense like um, and even within the Trinity, God glorifies himself. Like that might sound weird, but like, it's true, you know, throughout the Trinity, the son glorifies the father, um, you know, the spirit uplifts the son. So it's like, truly like we can't glorify God without him, without his presence in our lives. Mm-hmm. It would be impossible for us to do. Okay. So moving on to the last couple verses, um, within this chapter, um, we're basically just going to read the final promises to Zerubbabel. So verses 20 through 23 say, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai in the 24th day of the month. 
speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I am about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shiltil, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. When I first read this passage, it kind of felt disconnected, even from the first part of the second chapter. I just felt like I was reading something separate. So I think it is really important to dive into this as well, because we're introduced to Zerubbabel. It's a lot of bees in that name, Zerubbabel, in the uh, (laughs) first verse of the first chapter. And it says that he's the governor of this rebuilt Jerusalem. So he's uh, tasked with leading this rebuilt this rebuilt people and, and helping them to rebuild their lives. And so it's really interesting. I looked up an article to try to understand him a little bit more and how he plays into this particular part of Israel's story. And from the article I found, which I'll make sure to link below from got questions. It says it is important to understand who Zerubbabel is. He is the governor of the rebuilt Jerusalem and is himself a Royal blood of Royal blood being a descendant of David and the grandson of Judas King Jehoshan. Years later, he had lost his throne when he was deported to Babylon. In fact, God pictures Jehoshan as a signet ring being removed from God's finger in Jeremiah 22. Um, So now here in this passage in Haggai, we're seeing um, the heading that's at least in my ESV Bible is that Zerubbabel is chosen as a signet. So what God is really doing here is that he's rechoosing a leader. Um, He's also called my servant. So this is really just referring to the fact that God is uh, reinstating the Davidic line and also renewing his covenant with David. So that's from the article uh, that I found. So this is really important because it speaks to God's faithfulness. Um, After all this time, he's still fulfilling his promise to David, who is long dead um, and using his line for his purposes, the way that he promised. And I think it's just beautiful to see because David's gone at this point, but he's still fulfilling those promises. He's still working through that life and through that legacy um, and through, through that family line. So a really, really cool thing to see. It's crazy that it's just kind of slapped in there in those three verses of Haggai, those last three verses. And it, it also, I feel like could be just so easy to miss because when I first started reading through this book for our study, I just kind of my eyes just kind of glazed over it. I didn't, I felt like it was disconnected from what's going on with Israel at the time, but it's really not, it's, it's there for a reason. Is there anything that you wanted to, to add to that? Yeah. I mean, I think it just speaks to, I guess, like the reliability of scripture Mm -hmm. and the fact that it is one whole narrative. Cause I feel like it kind of leads into like the continuation of what happens next, if that makes sense. Right. You know, it doesn't just like leave it there. It's kind of like, okay. And God was still faithful. Like God continued to be faithful to them, which of course we see all throughout the rest of scripture, but it's just like another picture of that. Um, and I think there are a lot of like pockets within the old Testament where there are just like passages of verses where, it's so easy to just glaze over them because they just kind of seem like almost like unneeded information. Um, But I think in those moments, like that's when we really should like stop and like do some research and look into it a little bit more because there isn't a word of scripture that's not there for a reason. So um, I think that's, that's really cool to point out. 
you reminded me of something I wanted to say earlier when we were talking about the dates of everything. There are not a lot of books of the Bible that will give you the exact date that something happened that yeah. will say in the second year, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. But this book does, and that's pretty rare. And it kind of stood out to me because God is really interested in showing the timeline in this book. He wants mm-hmm. you to see the progression of um, him convicting, the people turning back, the people getting discouraged, him, him encouraging them, and then the promises he provides. And I think by the end, let me check here. Um, when we're in verse, when we're in the second chapter in verse 10, um, it's the three month anniversary since the work of like starting to rebuild the temple has begun. And it's just, it's just very rare to, to be given those details con- consistently throughout the book. Now there are a lot of different parts in the Bible where they will set you and you can kind of help orient yourself where you are in the biblical timeline, but for it to give a play by play, this is what happened on this day. God is really interested in just showing this is a timeline of, of what happened in this book because it actually happens over a very short span of time, unlike many other books, which maybe a chapter will cover 50, 70, 80 years. Yeah, so true. I just find it really interesting. So with all that being said, it's it's just kind of crazy to me how much there is just packed into that. And we kind of scratched the surface. I mean, there's even more you could get into. You could look at all the different characters. You could look into more of Haggai's lives, Zerubbabel's life, uh, also Joshua's life, all those people that are mentioned there. Um, but really what we want, what we hope that you walk away with and what we've really gleaned from studying this book again um, is that today, today we have a choice to prioritize God or to prioritize ourselves. Um, we can choose what we want to build or we can work on cultivating his presence like his temple in our lives, in our hearts, where he dwells and making that a beautiful place for him to dwell um, and that will glorify him. And, you know, what we can really do with our time is we can, we can pursue fruitless endeavors. We could build the things, build our own castles, but ultimately that it's not really going to bring anything lasting or eternal that we should keep our eyes on the Lord and work on building those treasures that last, because that's even reiterated again in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also it's what you spend your time, your energy on is going to be very indicative of where you are with your heart. And God is not afraid to call you out on that. And he will pursue you in those moments. So again, just like we've been reminded we should cultivate in our hearts a place the Lord can dwell. Um, just like the way the Israelites began rebuilding the temple after they're convicted by God. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God is continuously sanctifying us through his Holy spirit as believers. And we've talked about in previous episodes, the fact that, um, you know, we truly believe he will keep his sheep. So if he's sanctifying you, he's going to finish that work in you. So if that means waking you up, and turning you back to him, that's what he's going to do because that is what's best for you. That's what you were created for. That's your purpose. Um, but of course, in that we have work to do too, just as the Israelites had work to do in rebuilding the temple. God turned him back to them, but they still had to work with their hands and build that temple. Um, so I think just in that, we wanted to just kind of give a couple questions of reflection Um, you know, maybe ask yourself today, like who or what am I prioritizing? Like, what is my first priority in this life? Cause of course the things that we mentioned, like building your home, you know, focusing on work, on education, on your family, those are all great things. Those are not bad things to focus on. It really is just like the lining up of your priorities. What is the first priority? What are you serving first? What is the desire of your heart? Where does your heart lie? 
because that is ultimately where your actions will spring from. And just as uh, Allison just said, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It also makes me think of the other verse that talks about guarding your heart for from it uh, flows the wellspring of life. So, yes. um, you know, same type of concept. <laughs> it all comes from the heart and where your heart lies, that is what you will build. And that's where your treasure will be as well. So um, maybe ask yourself, what does prioritizing God's work look like in your life today? Um, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Um, I know for me, that really is good time management. Honestly, like I remember growing up, I was always told like, well, you don't want to make your time with the Lord as like a check mark on a sheet of paper. And like, I get that the point of saying that was that you don't want it to just be something that you're doing to check off a list, which is true. You want your heart to be there. You want to be present. You want to be engaged in the word of God. You want to be prayerful. You want to be reverent in that time. Um, but honestly, I don't think there's anything wrong with adding it on a list of things that you need to do in order to manage your time well, so that you actually do it. Um, you know, so it's like, I know for me, that looks like being better at time management and actually making time for that. Even if that means waking up 20 minutes earlier, or if that means staying up 20 minutes later, or if that means on my lunch break, not being on my phone, but being in my Bible, you know? So it's like, it really is an intentional thing that we do. It's work that we have to be done because it's a spiritual discipline. It takes work to build up um, those things. And you know, sometimes that does look like, you know, writing it down so that you actually do it and cross it off the list, not so that you can cross it off, but so that you actually do it and you are engaged in that time. Yeah. I definitely start to feel it if it's been multiple days. Um, cause I can, I'm, I'm definitely just as guilty of this as anyone else that life happens, life gets mm-hmm. busy, you get caught up in things and then suddenly you blink and it's been like a week since you've read your Bible or even longer. I mean, honestly, Mm -hmm. I've gone, I've gone months and months. And sometimes I've just had those seasons of drought or, or walking away from God for short periods of time. And so just encourage you that you can start today. It really is that easy. It's as easy as opening the app on your phone or, or whatever it may be. And I also do just like a quick little plug is that I did an episode to uh, ways that you can kind of reclaim your Bible time and reconnect with God. And that was episode seven, if you're interested in just kind of hearing some tips for getting back into the Bible, if it's been a while or starting reading the Bible, if you're not really sure where to start, but even just books like these really short ones even just a chapter a day or a few verses, what you have margin for. We've really, I think we've shown, if anything, in this episode, we've shown just two chapters can just reveal so much about who God Mm -hmm. is and the way he's trying to work in your life. Even though this happened so long ago, there's still really cool things that you can glean from it and understand from it uh, while still um, interpreting correctly within its, within its concept and understanding the culture within that it was written in. So really just want to encourage you guys um, to reconnect with God and prioritize him just the way that we have to all the time. Mm -hmm, For sure. Well, I think that is going to do it guys. Um, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I hope that you were able to glean something from it, take something away and ultimately be pointed back to Christ because that's what this is all about. So join us next time. I'm not actually sure what we're doing. I don't even think we talked about it. Like we had such a long list of things that we wanted to do that were all lined up in order of how we wanted to do them. And we kind of ran out. So we have many ideas. Mm-hmm. Don't you worry. We have many ideas. <laughs> um, 
but we just haven't planned anything yet. So I hope you join us next time for a mystery episode because we don't <laughs> even know what it is yet. Follow us on Instagram. Um, you can find us at Cedar and Cypress Pod on there and listen to our past episodes if you haven't already. And we will see you guys next time.